0: Uh, Church, we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and believe it or not, after today, we only have one more message in the book of Exodus. And then for the summer, for for, uh, June, July, and August, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. So it's kind of the prequel to Exodus, and so we'll be in the book of Genesis uh, for the summer looking at the story of Joseph. But uh, for those of you that have been pre-reading this last week, we've asked you to read Exodus 32 through 34. And now the task is before, the end of, uh, before next Sunday is to read the rest of Exodus. And we want to encourage you to do that. But today, in start, instead of starting in Exodus, I want you to open up to Exodus 32. And I want you to write in the margin of your uh, ESV journal that you've been using. I want you to write down Psalm 24 verses 1 through 10. It's the entire psalm. And I want to start here and read this as a setting a stage. This psalm is all about the glory of God. And, uh, and so let's, let's get into it. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob, Selah. And I was saying for service, and I think I'm right, that Selah, uh, when you see that in Scripture, it means stop and ponder what you just read. But then it continues. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Let's say it together. He is the king of glory. Selah. And we stop there. The King of glory. That psalm is all about the glory of God, and what's interesting to me is as I've been really wrapping my mind around Exodus 32 through 33 or 34 uh, this week, it's all about the glory of God. And not only is Exodus 32 through 34 about the glory of God, our lives should revolve around the glory of God. In fact, life is mainly about the glory of God in our interaction with His glory. And so, this is an important message. Uh, in this series uh, for Exodus. Life is not just a waste, and life is not just an accumulation of stuff and experiences and travel, or it's not about just your kids or your spouse Who is those things are important, but life is more than that. Life is not about your 401K or your career path. It's about your interaction with the glory of God day in and day out. That's what we're going to try to get our mind around. And you might ask the question, well, how do I interact with the glory of God? That sounds scary. Well, the psalm that we just read really speaks to that. In the first two verses, it says the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, right? It, it, It could be founded upon the seas, established in the rivers. The first thing we see is that we can see the glory of God in creation, In creation, when you look around, when you walk out of these doors today, look around, even right here on our property, you can see God's creative work. But man, not only can you see it here, you get into the mountains somewhere, or you get to the ocean, or you go to Niagara Falls, and you you just look at some of the things God has created, and you know there's a creator, and you see his glory all around that. How do you interact with the, with the, uh, with the holiness or the, the greatness of God? It also is related to the holiness of God. Verses 3 through 6, th- verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Kind of setting it up, saying, okay, none of us can, right? Because it says only those with a clean hand and a pure heart would be able to be, experience that. And certainly when you look at the glory of God, there's a holiness piece that's critical for each of us to get our minds around. How many know that Romans 3 23, maybe you, you have memorized this verse? If not, you should write it down, look it up, highlight it in your scripture. It says, For all have sinned, and we've all fallen short of the what? The glory of God. Sin keeps us away from the glory of God. But we know when we look forward to the end of the service today, Jesus is the one that covers us. And uh, and so we can boldly come in to his throne. And then at the end of this psalm, verses 7 through 10, it says to look up, look up. And the idea, it's pointing to Jesus. And, And don't just put your head down and wallow in your sin. No, we don't stay there. We don't worry about our Uh, mistakes and our shortcomings, we give those things to Jesus. We look up and the glory of God can be at work in our lives. And that really sets up a question that I want us to to see. uh, And I want to ask, are you more aware of your shortcomings and your failures or are you more aware of the glory of God that's present inside of us? And I want to move towards that second part because life is about God at the center. It's about his glory. And Moses seemed to understand this. When we get to Exodus 32 through 34, it's all about the glory of God. But before we get to 32, I want to back up and give you an idea of where we're starting here in 32. In Exodus chapter 24, so a few chapters back, Moses, it says, that he entered the cloud. That's the glory of God on the mountain and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days in forty nights. Now that sets up the then the tabernacle discussion that we talked about last week, seven chapters there. And then now we're in 32, uh, where we come and we pick up the story. And so the people have been waiting for Moses. They watch Moses go up onto the mountain. It says in Scripture that the mountain was, uh, the mountain of God was on fire, that the glory of God had, had descended. The glory was there. And the people are thinking, well, there's no food, there's no water. And they're questioning is Moses dead is he done for right and the, so the people come and they look to their the second in charge Aaron and uh and it just kind of reminds me that when the leader's gone, sometimes uh, things get squirrely, things get shady, right? And even in our own lives, right? When, when others aren't looking, we may do things that we would never do in front of others. How many know our kids, when they're growing up, they would do things when we turn our backs? And I just know that that's the truth. And uh, we thought we'd give Logan an opportunity to share some of his shortfalls. And... Um, <laughs> but he didn't want to do a first service either. So, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, but you think about it. And so they're, they're like, all right, our leader's gone, and now they're about to do some shady things. And th- for those of you that pre-read, you know where we're headed. The people come to Aaron, and they say, give us a God, little g, a representative, something we can see, something we can worship. And I think about that, and I think, that is Crazy. God's people who are given the presence of God, they've seen the power of God at work over and over. But now, after a few short days, Moses is on the mountain. Their leader's gone, and they turn their back on God. And Aaron, he gathers up the the gold. He, He melts it, makes a golden calf violating the second commandment out of the Ten Commandments. If we go back to that, the second commandment was, you shall make for yourself or you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That's the second command. So when they did this, when they created this golden calf, they were sinning in the face of God in church. God hates sin, period. He cannot tolerate it. And so Moses is contacted by God. He's on the mountain, and God comes to Moses, and Moses comes down off the mountain. And God is mad. Moses stands there in the gap. You say, were there consequences to them making the golden calf? Yes, there were. Uh, if you read the, the story, um, you've, you read this, and it's hard to believe, but 3,000 men died that were directly involved with creating this golden calf. And then there was a plague over the people that participated. And so God, his justice still was seen. And at that moment, God is ready to just wash his hands of his people. He's ready to walk away. And we see that in Exodus 33. Let's look at it, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go out from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up amongst you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Everyone say stiff-necked And and God is saying, look, I'm washing my hands. He's saying, all right, I will send you. I will come true. uh, I will fulfill my promise to get you to the promised land. In fact, he says, I will send an angel with you. I will give you great wealth. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you victory over your enemies. But he says, I'm not going. I'm washing my hands. And for some, in this day and age, and even there, that may have seemed like a dream religion. That you get all the gifts and no rules, no giver the, behind it. That you, if, if you were promised great wealth and comfort and victory over your enemies, how many of you would take that? But without God, it was not the case. Listen, peace from God is not in defeating your enemies. Wealth you can have all the wealth in the world, but without the presence of God, it's corrupted, right? in comfort, when you say, okay, they're headed into the land of milk and honey, but without God, there would be only anxiety. And that really explains why, in verse 4, it says, when the people heard, they called it a disastrous word. They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments, the things that they had brought with Egypt, the things that they would adorn themselves with. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. For if for a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. God's wrath, his anger was alive and well, and he was was upset with their sinful behavior. So now take off your ornaments, he said, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments, the things that would have tied them their their identity from mount horeb moving forward again what we see here is that god his presence his glory was better than anything and moses realized this he says look god if you don't go with us We do not want to go. Fast forward just a few verses in uh, chapter 33, verse 14. It says, and he said, my presence will go with you. This is God speaking this, and I will give you rest. So again, the promise of rest, wealth, comfort, the defeat of enemies. But Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, Moses is saying, look, God, we need you to go. The most important thing is your presence, your glory that would go with us. And so Moses, in that moment, he stands in the gap for the people of Israel. He fights for the people. And amazingly, God responds favorably. Look at it, verse 17. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. Moses changed God's mind. That, get your mind around that. We're not going to take time to dive into can you change God's mind. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a big topic. But, uh, but then Moses not only says, okay, God, you're going to go with us. Moses then asks for the unthinkable. He asks for something that is so wild in verse 18 Moses then says, Well then, would you please show me your glory? He asked God to see his glory. And God speaks to him and says, no, you can't see my face, not face to face, but I will show you my glory. I will come by you. I'll hold my hand and I'll take it away. You can see the backside of me. And that's what the next several verses are about. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, The glory of God passes by. If you go ahead to Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7, it says the Lord descended in a cloud, that's the Shekinah glory there, and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then look what verse 6 says. The Lord passed by him, from him, and proclaimed this. And so he's showing him his glory. And look at the description here. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? We'll talk about that in a second. Visiting the iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God passes by. Moses sees the glory from the backside, and it's described by using those terms, merciful, gracious, God's glory is merciful and gracious. God's glory is slow to anger. How many are grateful for that? Otherwise, we'd all be nuked, right? We'd all be sizzled. That's what we deserve. It says that he's full of love, abounding in love. And when I think of abounding, it's not just having a little bit. It's about having overflow, more than enough. It's like going to the refrigerator and uh, pulling the freezer, and you've got a whole house full of people, and you want to give them ice cream, and you only have half a carton left. you say, all right, I'm going to split it up, you know. 18 ways, and, and that everybody gets a little bite. No, 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 no. It's like having 18 cartons of, of uh, ice cream in the free freezer. Come on. And it's more than enough. You can eat to your fill and then go back for more. Can I get an amen? I'm not eating ice cream right now. And that's why I was thinking about ice cream, I guess. It also says not only is God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and love that's abounding, it also says he's a forgiving God. And you look at all these things and you say, man, the glory of God, it's incredible. Well, it is incredible. But there's a tension when you look at the the second part. It says, but who will by no means clear the guilty? So there's this greatness, but also this justice. God will do what he says. God hates sin. He says he will not pass over sin. And then in the next several verses, he reiterates the covenant relationship that was made with the Ten Commandments and then expanded upon. The point here is when God passed by, Moses saw the glory of God. He saw a God that was glorious, and that God was better than anything. He is the thing that we need most desperately. See, you can have everything you ever wanted uh, in life. Your 401K can be funded well, retire. For those of you that are in the room, single guys, you could get the girl of your dreams or all the girls, single girls, you're, you could get the guy of your dreams. You could have all the stuff in the garage or a house that's beautiful or your image, your appearance. Uh, you could be better than average. You could have a great job and status, your bank account, comfort, you got your family, all these things, maybe even a little fame, I don't know. But if you have all those things and you don't have the glory of God at work and interacting in your life, you have lost everything. That's what these verses, these chapters are about. See, the glory falls, and then we see Moses' response. In verse 8 and 9, it says, And Moses Moses, Moses, uh, quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. That's the proper response when you see the glory of God fall, right? But then he said this, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. So he's the intercessor. He's the mediator between the people. For it is a stiff-necked people, and they were. And then he says, And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Moses stands in the gap. Moses' response is is typical of uh, an Old Testament type of Christ, where we see Jesus in the story. And all throughout the book of Exodus, almost every week, we've been pointing, saying, where do we see Jesus in the story? And this is where we see Jesus in the story in this particular passage. See, historically, when the Shekinah glory would fall on a place, it was always seen through fire or through thunder, some physical manifestation. It's the burning bush experience, right? Or the cloud by day, the fire by night. And just a side note though ultimate reason why God did not want the Israelites to make a carved image to look like him and it's interesting when you study they made this golden calf and they were they didn't think it was a different god they were using that as a representative of Yahweh they were still worshiping God but they made this carved image to look like him but the reason that was not uh, was important not to do is because there would be One day, the only one true representative of Yahweh, the person of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament towards Jesus. And what's great is that Jesus does everything that Israel would have wanted that golden calf to do. Jesus intercedes for us. He shows us the image of God. He leads us into the presence of God. Jesus goes before us, behind us, and all around us. We, we talk about that, similar to the way Moses did, right? Moses was the one leading the way. And, uh, and G- Moses was also the intercessor, like, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to go on behalf of the people. He stood in the gap. Well, Jesus does the same thing. And how many know Jesus is the better intercessor? He's better than Moses, Jesus shows us only love, right? He's quick to forgive. And Jesus doesn't dwell in a tent or behind a rocky cliff. And he's not only seen through a messenger, an angel. Jesus is God's presence himself. Write in your Bibles there, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. In Hebrews 1, uh, verse 3, it says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I've got that underlined in my notes. I've got it underlined uh, in my, uh, my other Bible. He's the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. This is huge. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So after Jesus did the work on the cross, he was raised from the dead. He was with the people, and then he ascended into heaven. He sits down. He puts his feet up. And he says, my work is done. You say, well, what kind of work did he do? Well, Jesus, who is the glory He is the Shekinah glory. Now, he resides in each and every one of us. He makes his dwelling inside of us, according to the New Testament. And you think, wow, if Jesus is living inside of me, I mean, that should be supernatural, right? And I would say, yes. And what would that look like? Well, the glory of God in our lives on a day-to-day basis, what that looks like, is every day faithfulness. Ordinary days, over the long haul, stacked on top of each other, doing the right thing over and over. The glory of God at work. It's not the glory of God, you take the, you know, there's a silver bullet or a magic pill. No, no, no. We take the glory of God with us wherever we go. Can you imagine 30 years of faithfulness stacked on top of each other. Can you imagine 50 years or 10 years or 80 years? I don't know who would be the oldest among us. We won't point you out. But the idea is that ordinary days are seen where the glory of God can be seen in our lives. And can you imagine us here at the Gateway Church at this moment, we're about 300 strong. If we took the glory of God to the lakeshore, to wherever we go, what kind of effect that would be. It would be incredible. Ordinary days sprinkled with the supernatural. And I just want to challenge you that the supernatural is seen in ordinary days. When our kids were younger, we would climb into bed with them when we were putting them to bed, and we would usually read a story, and then we would pray for our kids I want you to know that when you pray, when we prayed with our kids, the supernatural in those moments, in an ordinary daily routine, the Shekinah glory was there. Men in the room, every time you decide to pray with your spouse, the glory of God is with you. He's there. When you spend time with others. Uh, I know we're in Connect Group season. It's coming to an end here. And then we've got some plans for the summer to do some get-togethers. It'll be awesome. We'll let you know about it. Uh, But every time we're together, the glory of God is there. I was thinking back a few years. Um, with my kids, I don't know why I was thinking so much about my kids this week, but uh, I was thinking there were times uh, earlier on I'd be doing finances, and I used to do it all by hand, and, and it was it was kind of a uh, always a deal. And uh, Jessica would say, "Don't go in the kitchen, Dad's doing finances," <laughs> and they, everyone would stay away. But once in a while, the kids would kind of come by, and they'd see me working. I'd say, "Hey, this is what we're doing, or this is why." And the glory of God. Is there in those moments. Most recently, Logan has been into surfing and he's allowed me to surf with him, although I'm not nearly, not even close to as good as he is. But when we get out in the waves, we, you know, here in Grand Haven or we've done some other trips. The glory of God is in those moments. In fact, that was the big takeaway from last week's message about the tabernacle. Uh, Logan and I, we were debriefing on it. He's like, so you're talking about the tabernacle and how God, we don't need the tabernacle anymore. God is with us, right? And uh, he's like, I've experienced God the most in the waves. And th- that's what he said. And I'm like, yeah, you got it. And, uh, but the glory of God is there with us. And If I talked about Logan, I got to talk about Reagan too. She might be watching. Uh, Reagan is living in Cairo, Egypt right now, and we get to talk with her uh, or get to text back and forth. But every time, like this week uh, on, on Friday, I prayed with her on Friday afternoon, and we we're sharing stories. The glory of God is there. The supernatural is sprinkled into those situations. Do you believe that? I want you to write down Second Corinthians chapter three, verses seven through eighteen as kind of an assignment. We're not going to look at this; we don't have the time to do it. But uh, this is this particular passage. It, it it is a reflection back to the story we're reading, where Moses has to cover his face. And then it says we don't have to do that anymore because it is, as the, those scriptures are unfold, it talks about God's glory residing in us, that we are the temple of God, and uh, and I just it will be worth your time read this later in light of all of this. And the point of all of this is that God, at the center, His glory in our lives is better than anything else we could pursue or grasp. And so we want to interact with this. We want to be aware of his glory in our lives. See, you could take away all the accolades, all the things that are important to you on this side of eternity. You could take away your house and your your cars, and you could take away uh, your work, and you could take away even your family, take away your health, But if the glory of God is still present inside of you, you are not crushed. You're still okay. And I know that's hard to say for someone that experiences a lot of pain, like my father-in-law, but I love his pursuit of saying, you know what, I'm going to find joy no matter what. And I know he's home today watching Second Service here, and uh, we're praying for you. But if we have the glory of God in us, That is what makes the difference. But the enemy is sneaky, and he will bring our shortcomings, our failures to the surface, and get our eyes off the glory of God and what God wants to do. That's just the way the enemy is. Between services, uh, one of the ladies uh, uh, from first service came up to me and said, you know, uh, I get so caught up sometimes in my shortcomings and my failures, and I get my head down that I miss the next opportunity for God to use me or for the glory of God to be evident. How many of have ever been there before? You're like, yeah. And it's like, okay. Are our shortcomings, our failures, more prominent, or is it the glory of God? We want the glory of God to be evident in our lives. We want to interact with those things. I want to go back to Psalm 24, which we started with. Um, at the beginning of Psalm 24, it talks about the, the, uh, God's glory seen in creation, seen in His holiness. But then in verse 7, It shifts, and it says, Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The key is to look up. And I believe this is a foreshadow saying, look up and look forward to Jesus who will fulfill this. It says, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. I'd like you to uh, read verse 10 with me. And worship team, you can come and prepare as we uh, close this morning. Let's read it together. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Stop. Let's reflect on that. The glory of God. We see it that the glory of God is Jesus himself living inside of us. We don't have to bury our heads and wallow in our shame. We instead are encouraged to lift up our eyes and gaze upon his glory. It reminds me of when Logan was younger. He was a baseball player. He loved to pitch, but uh, back then, pitchers did everything. You'd pitch, and then you're also a batter. I know in the major leagues that doesn't happen as much. But when you're up to bat... What, did, what do you encourage your kid? To keep your eye on the ball, right? Keep your head up. Keep your head up, buddy, right? Like you want to be watching so you can swing and hit the ball. The same is true for motorcycle riding. Any motorcycle riders in the room? A few of you? Good. Like me, I like to ride motorcycles, and it's you don't, I guess it's true for riding a bicycle too. You don't just ride a bike and look at the ground right in front of you, right? If you do, you're in trouble. You're gonna be all over the road. You're gonna hit a mailbox, like my friend Keith Najjar did, and um, I watched it. And when I was like 10 years old, it was crazy. But anyway, but if you're like this, but no, you lift up your eyes. You look ahead. And you don't just look at what's straight there. You say, okay, I'm going to look it up. And that's where my mind went. Jesus on the cross. We look up to what Jesus did, what he provided for us. We look to God's glory. And when we do, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we become the representatives of Jesus. And it makes all the difference. And that's what we are called to do as believers. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, that you are stirring for the reality of your glory that resides in us. Lord, none of us deserve it, but Lord, you come in and you live inside of us. And God, I just pray that you would help us to interact with you, not only through creation and through holiness, but Lord, we would look up to you, and that you would make all the difference in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If I could get your eyes on me just for a moment. Uh, Does everyone know what this is? It's a smoke detector, right? Smoke alarm. Well, this was in our house this last week, up on the wall, uh, in in our hallway, and on Tuesday night... Jessica was making a great meal, it was awesome, but part of the meal, uh, you got to like, I don't know, like fry, is it fry? You sear these green beans in like an oil and herbs or something, I don't know what she does, it's amazing, but it was, she's cooking at the stove and you know, it's like, and Logan comes in uh, from outside and he's like, mom! There's smoke everywhere in the house. Like, what in the world? And and then I come from the bedroom, and I'm like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And there was smoke everywhere in the house, and our smoke detector wasn't going off. And Jessica's like, you need to test that thing. And so I'm like, okay. So I go up, and yeah, you guys know, you just press a little button, and usually it's ear piercing, right? And it was like a little... literally about even quieter than that. You couldn't even hardly hear unless you were really listening. And then I went in the basement and did it to the same, same one downstairs, same thing. A little Like it was struggling to make any noise and they're hardwired in. I'm like, but I realize our house is 27 years old or 28 years old and these were original and they say you should, <laughs> you should replace these every 10 years, right? Kind of crazy. Well... We missed it, but I went to Home Depot that night and got one for upstairs, one for downstairs, even one with the carbon monoxide indicator. Things have come a long way, right? And I put that in, and, uh, and afterwards I was like, man, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of people that are living life like we were that you feel like you're safe. Like, you've got everything, like, I mean, this looks like a good uh, unit. In fact, we'll auction it after service, anyone that wants it. You can try to install it in your house. Maybe it'll work, Paul. You could probably get it to work. Um, that'd be good. But the reality, even if it looks good on the outside, on the, the insides aren't working, right? Things aren't connecting. Things aren't giving the proper warning. And I thought, you know, this is true with our, with our walk with the Lord sometimes. And there may be someone here this morning that doesn't realize that they're not protected. Maybe you think you are. Maybe you're a good church attender. Maybe you even serve in some capacity. Maybe you even give. But the reality is when the smoke comes, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And we want to offer you that free gift of salvation today doesn't cost you anything except your life. It's a big gas, actually. But with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, before we close the service with this song, Nothing Else, and I'll set that up in a minute, I'm curious if there's anyone here this morning that would say, you know, Pastor, as you talk, I'm realizing that if I were to die today or if there was some sort of tragedy or if God were to return today for his church, because that's called the blessed hope, if that were to happen, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure my fire detector is working properly. If that's you and you're saying, boy, would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand? And we want to pray for you. I'm not going to single you out. I don't want to embarrass you. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, today's your day. Everything we do is for these moments to say or to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus just want to give it a second, anybody at all, saying yes to Jesus today. For those that are online, for the sake of those, I don't see any hands in the room, but for those that may be online that are responding, and by the way, if you're online, just type in the chat, I'm giving my heart to Jesus, and we will follow up with you every time. We've got resources, and we'll we'll connect. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you just cleanse our hearts, take away our sins, Lord, would you do your cleansing work? Jesus, we're sorry for the things that are wrong, for the sin in our lives. We know you don't tolerate sin. And so today, we need you to cover our sins. And that promise, I pray that it would happen. Lord, I pray that you would do a good work in us. Your saving grace would be at work. And those that are online, those that are here, Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I'm gonna ask that you stand this this morning or this afternoon at this point. We're gonna close with a song that's called Nothing Else. And it's really a song, as we sing it, I wanna relate it to the idea that God's glory is the best thing. It's the thing we need most. Nothing else will do. It's a song of repentance, it's a song of bringing back to Jesus, and it's really a song that, that really identifies that we all have idols. You know, we look at the children of Israel making a false idol, a, a false image to God, and the reality, we could say, man, why would they do that, or how would they do that? We all can get tripped up, and that's a whole other message. I was talking with Pastor Bobby, I said, I got to cut some things out, uh, but there's a lot around the idolatry uh, that, that the children of Israel uh, did in this case and continue to do. But we all struggle with it. If it's our identity or stuff or possessions or or just, you know, so many things. But, but we want to sing out this morning with gusto that nothing else will do except the glory of God in us, keeping our eyes lifted. Come on, let's sing it. Let's go. Lord, I just pray right now that you just be with us in these final moments, God, that your hand would just... Make the difference as we experience your glory, even in this final song. And then we'll go. Lord, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine your life completely consumed with the glory of God? It would make all the difference. And that's what God is calling us to, to take his glory, was supposed to do communion before the song. I got down and just like, aren't we doing communion? Yes, we are. All right. So here we go. Uh, We've got the bread, the the cup, and uh, you can go ahead and open those up. Uh, Last month, we had the April Fool's joke of the century. Uh, We couldn't get our communion cups open. Uh, but we got new ones and we got refunded, but from the other ones. And we had some dry cleaning bills. We bought some people some new shirts, and it was a mess. In the, I mean, it was a it was a big mess. But uh, but anyway, these should open up easier. And uh, you know, the, with communion, uh, it's just a great chance to look within, saying God, kind of like this song. And we, should we sing it again? No, I'm just kidding. We no, we won't do that. But uh, about just searching our heart, saying God, is there anything within us? that's not pleasing. That's the look within. We also look back at the sacrifice, Jesus on the cross. We're talking about looking up, looking, uh, keeping our eyes up on Jesus. And then we look forward to the return, the promise. It's our blessed hope. And we do all that. And so let's just thank the Lord for his body. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just all across the room, just lift up your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. You're so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your body. Let's partake of the body together. And now we have the, the representation of the blood, the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What not only provides salvation and redemption, but also healing, there's healing atonement in the blood of Jesus. By the stripes, by the blood of Jesus, we're healed in Jesus' name. And today I pray that over my father-in-law who's watching, but I also pray that over anyone that needs a healing today. God, I pray that you would just do your healing work, your saving work through the blood. Thank you for your blood. Come on, let's thank the Lord together. Lift our voice. Thank you, God. Thank you for your blood. You're so good bless you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's partake of the blood together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise your name. Praise your name. We often close our service, either Pastor Bobby does or I will, by praying a prayer benediction that includes the phrase, Lord, go with us. Go before us, behind us, and all around us. How many have heard us say that over and over and over? I don't know where that started, but it's kind of our mantra. And it's really the idea that, God, your glory it goes with us. When we leave here, we don't leave the presence of God behind. We take the glory with us. And so right now, I commission you in the name of Jesus to be Jesus in the flesh, be a representative wherever you go. And Lord, I just pray that you would go with us. You go before us, behind us, and around us. In Jesus' name, we pray it all. God, thank you for this morning. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Turn and greet someone, and I will see you as you leave out at the back door. God bless you.